in the Gospel of John. Surprise, surprise. We've been there since about December, and we're going to remain in it for some time. We'll detour from time to time and have different conversations as a church, but marching through the Gospel of John until we finish. And we've seen two things in chapter 3. We've seen the interaction with Nicodemus and the instruction there. Now we're seeing John the Baptist and some discussion by John the Evangelist. If I say that, or John the Apostle, John the Gospel writer, it's the other John. We're not going to hear much about John the Baptist going forward, so, but he gets a little more play in today's sermon. And I was thinking just about this passage and, and always preaching about something that definitely happened uniquely Right, that John the Baptist came into this world. He was the forerunner to the Messiah. And at the same time that he was that, and I am not the forerunner to the Messiah, but I am a herald of what Jesus has done, whereas John is pointing to him and going, look at him, he's the one who is going to die for us. We kind of point back, so we have different roles. There's still so much in you, when you see John the Baptist in his ministry, so much that we can learn from regarding how he understood Jesus. And I think about that today uniquely in regard to how we live life, uh, which is, can be crushing if you are prone to comparison. Prone to comparison. Here's what I mean. I mean that, that you have to be better than the one beside you. You have to get more likes on your Instagram posts. You have to get more feedback from people on things they liked about what you did. Your ministry has to be bigger. If you're a small group leader here, your group has to be more lively than the other groups that exist. If you're a D group leader, your D group has to you know, confess more sin and be more serious about their faith than the other D groups that exist, right? There's always this feeling of needing to best somebody, be more popular, have a more meaningful ministry, have the sermons that your friends share with other people about how much they meant to you, or the websites that other people send you to go, have you seen this church's website? Have you seen this church's ministry? Have you seen this thing? Right? All these things that we do, we live, we don't even realize it, but we live in a world that is, in a sense, begging us to compare ourselves to others. Because it's through that feeling of being incomplete that the world can get stuff out of us. You don't have this, and you need it. You need more friends. You need a better car. You need a better spouse. You need better friends. You need better clothes. You need better schools. Right? All these things kind of come in comparison. You need better vacations. You need to be more in shape. Whatever it is, this eats at us. It eats at us. And honestly, and I mean that, we don't even know how affected we are by it. We don't even know because it's like breathing. It just exists. It exists. And it exists in the church world, in the ministry world, unfortunately, in similar ways that it exists just out in the world. Where you go, how come we're not doing something like that? How come we're not doing something like that? Have you seen what these people do? Have you seen how big their whatever ministry is? Have you seen the way that their preacher preaches? Have you seen the way that they're members member, right? Like, have you seen these things? And when we get into that dangerous game of comparison, we get into a bad place. A bad place. Because we've drifted from things that matter. And what we get to see today in John chapter 3 is John the Baptist knowing his precise lane 
and being totally fine with it. Even when other people go, hey, do you see what's going on over there? Do you see what's happening over there? And John can go, yes, and I'm fine with it. Because it's what needs to happen. So John 3, 22 through 36 is our passage this morning. And what we get to see in this is John's recognition. You actually get two Johns speaking. You get John the Baptist recognizing something in Jesus. You get John the author commenting on how great Jesus is. And so the point is, John shows us, John the Baptist shows us the right perspective to have about Jesus. And then John the author comes in and says, and just in case you're confused, this is why it's okay for him to be more popular and important than you, because he's everything. And so we'll see John the Baptist live it out. We'll see John the author explain it. That's what we get. So really it breaks down like that. I'm going to give you four words that we'll just kind of go through. And they're C's. I don't usually have alliteration, but I do today. So get ready. Right? First, it's just the context. That's what we're going to be. That's John sets us up with context. Then we get the competition. Okay? Context, competition. Then we get third, contentment. That's what John the Baptist is going to show. And then fourth is the comment. I added that C. Right? Context, competition, contentment, comment. That's what we have. That's the four movements. Kind of each paragraph moves us through that. But paragraph two gets, gets two. We're going to start with the context, which really seems to be rather cool, that there's a pretty exciting ministry going on in the Judean countryside. If I just had to imagine it, it's like it's, it's the Judean countryside, kind of off east there, um, like headed up and down. If you think like you have the Sea of Galilee, you have the Dead Sea, kind of going off to the east there, up and down. It seems like that was a pretty happening place in the first century. That if you wanted to get good preaching, you'd go to the Judean countryside. John the Baptist was there baptizing. Jesus gets there and he's doing ministry. And there's a reason that he does that. But, but it seems like it's kind of the place to be, right? You go, oh man, look at what's going on here. Look at, I want to go hear them. I want to go hear the good preaching. We've got to go trek out to the Judean countryside. I'm in. So there seems to be this just this exciting thing going on. What we have is Jesus is growing in popularity. And what he does is he's, he, he does this throughout his ministry. He leaves the popularity. And so people are becoming aware of what he's doing. He's in the Judean countryside. Once that starts to go, he starts to move on and go to Galilee. And he stops off in Samaria in chapter 4. So Jesus is leaving that. And we have really two things side by side. We have John the Baptist and we have Jesus and his disciples. And John has disciples too. Let's not forget that. John didn't just lose all his disciples to Jesus when Jesus showed up. He lost some, but didn't lose all of them. So John had followers and Jesus had followers, and both groups were baptizing. Now, these weren't competing ministries. Let's get that straight. Like, it wasn't like, well, how many people did you baptize? Well, how many people did you baptize? They weren't going back and forth comparing their baptism numbers. But John had a baptism of uh, repentance. Jesus was baptizing in a, in a different way, in a different word. And we just have to recognize this. Like, in our minds, we have to be okay recognizing that what was happening when the incarnation, Jesus was on this earth, was unique, right? That there's kind of, there's Jesus baptizing, and then there's John baptizing, and Jesus is, is really bringing what will be, 
but there's kind of still what is. So we, un- we recognize that there's, there is this difference in just the incarnational ministry of Jesus there in the first century, teaching about the kingdom, living out the values of the kingdom, and bringing people into it. There's, there's a uniqueness here. So we have these, these concurrent ministries. John's doing his, and people are being baptized, and Jesus is doing his, and people are being baptized. In fact, if you go to John 4, 1, if you just note that, we learn that it's actually Jesus' followers doing the baptizing. It's not just Jesus baptizing everybody, uh, but it's, it's the followers. So we have these, these competing ministries, but we're in the Judean countryside. We're kind of away from the action. We've moved over here. And there's this interesting footnote that John gives us in verse 24, which says, for John had not yet been put in prison. And this is important because I think what it's going to show you and show us is that John, which sometimes gets accused of just being out in left field, saying whatever he wants to about Jesus, right? Like, and people will use the gospel of John to go, you created Jesus' deity. You, like, you, you, made, you made things up about him. People will give that accusation to John. But I think that John is actually putting 24 in there because he's saying Jesus had a a ministry before John was put in prison that was geared toward Galilee. So John 3.24 says, for John had not yet been put in prison. But like Mark 1.14 says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So I think that what John's saying is, I'm familiar with what these other guys are writing about Jesus. I'm talking to you about a different time in his ministry talking about a different moment in his ministry. It wasn't the time, like, John wasn't in prison yet. And if you're only familiar, perhaps, with the synoptics, right, or what, what that, the, the tradition of the synoptics was saying, then you go, oh, they, they have a Galilean ministry of Jesus, which is after John was put in prison. What John is doing here, John the writer, I think he's just going, I'm familiar with that. This is not that one. In the same way we talk about how there's two cleansings of the temple, John's highlighting the one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the synoptics highlight the one at the end of Jesus' ministry, is that John's just, just letting you know, I'm aware of the differences, and this, is, this happened before prison. It wasn't the ministry that happened after prison, which is helpful. Right? It's helpful that when you, when you, it's like, oh, these guys, they were kind of familiar with what was going on and what might be understood. And so he's just cluing in the readers to go, oh, there's something else happening here. This is when it happened. Before John was put in prison. Now, just remember this. John the Baptist loses his head. Literally. Literally. Right? Like he is beheaded because of his ministry on behalf of Jesus. So being all in on Jesus doesn't necessarily get you what you think you're getting in this life. We just have to know that that's where this goes. Right? That his ministry for the Lord ends in his death for the Lord. But what we have right now is this Exciting ministry on the Judean countryside. Now there's the moment of competition. And the moment of competition happens because there's this bit of wondering if John's aware, John the Baptist is aware that he's losing status, losing priority, losing popularity. And so we see this discussion start with some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They're baptizing. They're saying something about purification. And so, right, there's, there's a debate. They're debating over this issue of well, how do you find purification? And they come to John, and they said, Rabbi. I would see this as me, this group, or John the Baptist's disciples come and say, Teacher, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, that guy, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. 
He is baptizing, and all are going to him. That's that statement of competition. Where you go, look, well, Jesus has something going on. He's, remember, remember that you spoke about him? You told us he was coming. And yet, what? Now, people like him more than they like you. He's baptizing more people than you are. His ministry is more exciting than yours is. More podcast download, more Instagram likes than you would ever get. It's all coming from this guy. Now, I just want to say, this little bit of competition, we can, we can be the instigators of or the feelers of. We can be both of those things. By instigators, it's that nagging bit of, hey, do you see what this church does? Do you see what they're doing? Do you see how God's using that? Do you see how God's using that? Do you see how God's using that? As if somehow I'm like, oh, okay, let me just manufacture that over there, right? Cool. Do you want to give us a $20 million budget? Maybe we can do something like that. Like, like all that kind of stuff where you start to go, do you see this? 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 It's like, oh, I'm just giving it to you as a suggestion, right? I'm sure that John the Baptist's disciples were having the purest of intentions. They were just a little jealous that John's ministry was getting less play than Jesus's. But it may not be in that regard, right? Because we just see this kind of stuff happen whenever there's ministry going on. Look at what his is doing. It can be in your small group, your community group, where one group, like I said, is more important. It can be people who get more interested when someone else teaches. It can be uh, this, you just don't have it anymore, John. In fact, it's a little story from my own life. Hopefully my brother never listens to this sermon. <clears throat> but if he does, I'm okay with it. <clears throat> my brother, uh, I'm, I'm the middle child, but there's five-year wings on each side. So my sister's five years older than I am. My brother's five years younger than I am. My mom said it was like having the same child three times. <clears throat> because, you know, we had, <clears throat> uh, Courtney and I had three kids in the amount of time it took my parents to have one and a half. Um, so... We didn't really have the sibling rivalry as kids because one was born and the other one was starting kindergarten. It's kind of always how it moved. So we were always ahead relationally. There was just not that competition. But it exists now. Why? Because my brother is an elder at his church. And he's a lay elder. And he's asked to preach barely ever. And I'm driving to work, not to, to my second job, my side hustle. I'm driving to my side hustle with a guy who goes to my brother's church where he's a lay elder which just means non-staff elder, for those of you that need the decoder ring. <clears throat> and I'm driving <clears throat> with him, and he goes, man, your brother preached at church yesterday. He was great. <clears throat> he used this line. He said, um, he goes, probably top three sermons I've ever heard, and I don't even remember the other two. So now, just for a second, okay, put yourself in my shoes. You know how many, I have three seminary degrees, I don't, like, one of them I don't even need. I just handed it to you. You're like, what do I do with this thing? It's like collecting dust in my office. I have three seminary degrees, and I've been paid by churches for over 12 years. My brother shows up at his church. He's like, let me do a sermon, right? Does it? And everyone, everyone, I could not have more people tell me how great my brother's sermon was. I mean, I was sitting, I was sitting and somebody's like, man, Dale preached at his church. Oh, I added him. There's his name, Dale. Uh, man, he preached. He was great. And I'm like, I know. I heard it. So I have breakfast with him. I don't have breakfast with my brother that often, but we got breakfast earlier uh, a couple weeks ago, and I said, man, everyone is telling me how great your sermon is. I, mean, I kid you not. Now you're all going to go listen to it and go, oh, man, we should go to his church. Would you right? That's how it goes. 
Oh man, yeah, I feel it. I'm not, do- this is going somewhere, okay? I wouldn't, sh- I wouldn't share the story if I were actually insecure about it. So they tell me these things about what's going on, and I listened to my brother's sermon, and it was phenomenal. It was great. Unfair, man. It's like, un- I'm like, are you kidding me? You just show up, you're handed a passage, you take a couple weeks to work on it, and everyone's drooling over how good it was. All right, well, I got no drooling over here, but I've done this several hundred more times than you, and... Everyone loves it. Now, I get, you give deference to, the, to the, like, the guests. That always happens, right? That's why anytime anybody other than me preaches, like, man, that was great. I'm like, I know it was. But here's the thing, and this is why I can, I can joke about it, because it really was excellent. And there are so many ways my brother is a better Christian than I am. There's so many ways he's more faithful to the Lord and more loving and generous and thoughtful than I am. But I'm me. Right? Like, I'm where, I'm where God put me, and he's where God put him. And he's excellent at those things. And I'm glad. Why am I glad? Because it's not about being a good preacher. It's not about having people like you or listen to you or tell all your friends how great your sermon was. But that's what John the Baptist's disciples maybe for a moment thought it was about. Hey, do you see more people following this guy? Do you see, you're the one who told us about him, and they're going over to him. This is how you can hear that and not be disoriented. You know who you are, and you know where God's put you. If you know who you are and you know where God's put you, then you're not buffeted by other people's comparison to what you are or what you aren't, what's more popular or what's less popular. And what John the Baptist is able to do is look them in the eye and go, that's perfect. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Listen to how he responds in this contentment idea. Contentment. Verses 27 through 30. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. I can't, John's saying, I can't have even my ministry, as bummed out you are that it's not as popular, I can't even have that unless God grants it. You have... You, heard, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, remember from, that's from earlier, you heard me say, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So he's now going back in his disciples' face and saying, you know this is how this is supposed to go. I can't be given anything except what God's given me, and you heard me say, I'm not the Christ, he is. You heard me say that. And now he gives an illustration about an ancient wedding custom. Just imagine the best man, okay? Just think of, think of that, the bestest minch. That's what this is. The only people laughing are the people who know what that was. Yeah, it was a, t- it was a test balloon. Now, we don't use the word bridegroom. We just say groom. So when we hear bridegroom, it might sound funny. 
The one who has the bride, that would be in this illustration, the people, the community, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, we'll just call him the bestest minch, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom or the groom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what you get to hear John the Baptist say. He goes, I'm the one standing in the wedding watching Jesus take his bride. Why would I be bothered by that? I get a front row seat to all that God is doing. That's the lane God gave me. That's the role God gave me. In fact, this is only going to get better if you learn less about me and more about him. If you're concerned less about me and more about him. If you think less of me and more of him. That's all that is going to lead this to the right destination. So he knows who he is and he knows his role. That right there keeps us from the dangerous, toxic, ruinous ministry of comparison. That's what it keeps us from. Because he knows what God's called him to. And it's not about the minister. It's about the Lord. I'm not John the Baptist. I didn't have the ministry of being the forerunner that was prophesied in advance to prepare the way. But I am a witness. And I have to ask you the same question I ask myself, which is, is this your heart? To be totally glad when Jesus is exalted and you are not. To be totally content and even, let's just use John's word, joyful. This joy of mine is complete. Do you have joy when someone is more glad about Jesus? Do you have joy, parents, you say this before, Right? When, when you are told, maybe, maybe I or one of you says something to you. I say it to your kids, you say it to my kids, and it's like they heard it for the first time. They've never heard it before. They've never heard anyone else tell them Jesus loves them until some stranger told them. And you say, I've been praying this for you since you were in the womb. Right? You feel this competition to go, you need to know how much I care about you and how many times I've said that. If that's what we're going for, then we don't have the my joy is full because you're exalting Jesus' heart. Instead, we say, I'm glad that's going on. I wish you would give me credit. And that right there is going to keep a lot of us from effective ministry. Because we're going to want to be sure we get seen alongside with Jesus. It's almost like we're sharing our platforms with him. 
well, if I tweet about it or I share about it or I do something about it, then, oh, then, then, then I'm giving Jesus shine with the influence that he's given me. Like, that's not how it works. Jesus shines with or without you. He doesn't need you. He's not sitting around going, man, I really hope they say something nice about me on a Sunday. This is the Jesus who will make rocks cry out if no one's to praise him. You think he needs your platform? You think he needs your credit? Do you think you need a little footnote on there at the end and go, oh, and this was brought to you by Hans's ministry preaching? Like, you don't even need that. And yet, because this is the air we breathe, what happens? We get so interested in being sure we get rightfully attributed whatever part we had in somebody's life. It doesn't matter because it was the spirit anyways. You don't make the spirit move. We just learned that in John chapter 3. We don't do that. The wind blows where it may. The spirit does what the spirit wants. That you had a role in it, be overjoyed and leave it alone. Nope. It's hard. Because as as man, one of my dear ministry mentors said, and I've shared with you this line, which is just a helpful way to, to Remember how I'm operating. He says this, you know you're operating in the flesh, which is that part of you that, that wants self-exaltation, self-preservation, self-glory. You know you're operating in the flesh if you want to. And he gave me two things, look good or be right. If you want to look good or be right, you have no room for Jesus to be exalted. Because I'm more concerned about how you view me in that moment. When I talk to my pastor buddies who go through hard things at their church, which, you know, never happens, but it was just pretend. And, and they share about maybe how they're being misunderstood. Or they share about how they're being misinterpreted or misrepresented. Which isn't uncommon. I've had that. I've had people tell me, well, you know, and I heard in the elder meeting you guys said, and I said, that was never said. I had a buddy one time who was told that he was a, no vote on something that we never voted on. I mean, like, like, like hey, I heard you, I heard you voted to, to not do that. And it was like, there was no vote. What do you mean there, how, do you, how did you hear I voted on something I never voted on? But that's what starts to happen. And it's really hard in ministry because you really just have to take the L. You have to go, you know what, we're just going to be misunderstood. We're not gonna ha- we can't track down every bit of person who is confused or frustrated or honestly just lying. We can't track it all down. We have to let our reputation belong to the Lord. We don't have to try and angle in there and exalt ourselves or justify ourselves or correct ourselves to somebody all the time. If our delight is in Jesus being worshipped, Jesus being glorified, Jesus being seen. And when you walk in, right, it's right there when you walk in, making Jesus known. Every time you walk in, if we could just pray, Lord, may that be true for me today. 
that I am more concerned about making Jesus known than I am about making me known. He must increase. I must decrease. Can you be glad with whatever lane you have? Some lanes are bigger, some lanes are smaller. But no one can have them unless God gives them. Whatever lane it is. Unless it comes from God, it doesn't even exist. So John has that statement that he must increase, I must decrease. That, that statement is so a part of just how Christians talk. We just know, oh yeah, he must increase, I must decrease. We just, that, that's a part of our vernacular. But John the author gives us in verses 31 to 36 the commentary as to why that even matters. And essentially, that commentary would be this, that Jesus reigns for a reason. It's more important that we know Jesus than we know John the Baptist or that you know Hans or that I even know you. It's more important that we exalt Jesus and delight in Jesus because of his very nature. This is what John says. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth, that would be John the Baptist, John the author, you and me, those who speak of him on the earth. He who comes from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So, as, as John the Baptist, JTB, says, he must increase, I must decrease, John the evangelist, John the author, comes in and says, it's because he's above everything. The reason that you should even listen to Jesus over John the Baptist, the reason that you should be more concerned about worshiping Jesus over whatever John the Baptist might even tell you or be more concerned about the glory of Jesus than the glory of John the Baptist is because Jesus is from above and he stands above everything. This is that great statement in Colossians, that great Christological statement, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by things all, or for, through him all things were created. Everything. He is everything. And when you're enamored with the Jesus who is everything, then why in the world are you concerned about your credit? Can you just say that I said it? Can you just let me know? John the Baptist ends with his head on a platter. Because he said and believed that Jesus was everything. And that doesn't mean at times John might have doubted, struggled, and wondered this isn't happening like I thought it was going to happen. This isn't going the way that I thought it was going to happen. But now he's in glory and he proclaims more loudly that Jesus is above all. 
He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, verse 32, yet no one receives his testimony, what is stated about Jesus. Remember, this is a common theme in the Gospel of John, is that he was clear and we did not listen. He was spoken of, he was testified about, and we loved the darkness more than the light. And so his testimony was not received. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. Look at this. Circle, underline, highlight. If you're a Bible marker, take it. That God is true. What John says is this. Anyone who believes in the Son, Jesus, testifies that God is true. We are proclaiming in our testimony, in our faith, in our submission to the Lord... That he was right. His way is right. So it's one of my, it's where I get so comforted because it can, I, I, I think sometimes we're afraid to talk about God's activity in salvation. Meaning, meaning it's like, well, did I pick God or God picked me? And I'm like, God picked you and you picked him. Like, you got, you know, like, like, because he revealed himself to you. God acted first, you responded in the way that people who see how good God is respond, by saying, wow, you're right. I need your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. I need that. It's why it sometimes goes, well, well, who are you to tell me that God is? Go with me here. Who are you to tell me that your way of believing it is right? I go, this actually isn't my way. Right? This, isn't, this isn't my way. I didn't create this. I didn't, I didn't sit around thinking, thinking up like, you know what, of all the faith systems, which one makes the most sense? Like I, I, didn't, I didn't sit there and do it. I didn't even deduce it. This is that part of faith where you go, I received it. I received what was true. I didn't make it true. And so when you share Jesus with somebody, you're not trying to convince them of what you think is true. You're sharing with them what is true. And the difference is really, the chasm is significant. Because if we're talking with somebody about what we think is true, then if they can out-argue us, what happens? Well, I don't even know if I believe it anymore. Man, I didn't even think about that. That's a pretty good argument. I've never really had that conversation. Once it becomes about what we think is true, then the person across from us can go, well, let me do it. I don't think it's true. Now we're only having a conversation about which, what we think is right and what we think is wrong, which is honestly where most of our menial conversations even exist, rather than presenting what is true and leaving the Lord to do his work. And you don't have to be, I know some of you have the gift of arrogance, you don't have to be arrogant about it. And here's Why? Because God had to get through your arrogance, your pride, your selfishness to reveal to you your own need. You're sharing something true because it's happened to you. Not because you created it. That's why I say the chasm is so deep is because here when we share, it's really about us being persuasive. Now, I don't mind persuasion. And what I mean by that is, I don't mind you talking to somebody and go, well, I struggle with this. You go, well, let's talk about that. Right? I have this issue with God. I'm happy to talk to you about that. 
That's not me about being persuasive. Is, is I, don't, I have no issue with somebody wanting to talk to somebody about how do you handle God's wrath? How do you handle those who've never heard? Like all those statements are fine. I'll talk about that. But when I can just go, hey, let me tell you about God. And let me tell you about his son. And let me tell you about his sacrifice. And the life that he gave. All who believe, all who receive that testimony, proclaim that God is true. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's God's truth. And we're brought into it. And I love this. Old Testament prophets were all viewed as having some measure of God's spirit. Some, some dispensation, some granting of God's spirit to do what they did. Old Testament prophets, okay? Now what you have John saying here, which again highlights the superiority of Jesus, is that Jesus had the spirit in full measure. Okay? For he whom God sent has sent, uh, whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Meaning the ministry of Jesus is more important than John the Baptist's. It's more important than Isaiah's. It's more important than Amos's or Ezekiel's or Daniel's because Jesus has the full measure of God's spirit being fully God. So he is able to speak perfectly, accurately, and comprehensively about God. There is no going to Jesus and going, well, Jesus, what do you think? Right, if you come to me and you ask me some advice, I go, well, I'm going to give you, right? Like, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, right? I'm going to give you something where I'm going, this, this seems to be maybe the right decision. This seems to be the right way. Why? Because I'm not that. Jesus stands above all because he came from heaven. He is above all. He speaks of God fully because he has the full measure of God's spirit that no one else has had. <clears throat> and he has this relationship with the Father that no one else had had. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes the Son in the Son has eternal life. which demonstrates that God is true. Whoever does not obey, does not listen to the Son, shall not see life, but instead, and this is important, the wrath of God remains on him. Remember this happened in John 3 already, where it's, it's you're, you're getting eternal life, or you're receiving the judgment that already exists upon you. The judgment that already exists upon you is your eternal death and separation from a holy, right, and just God. So it's not as if, just hear me here, this is important, it's not as if we get to God and he has two buckets. 
And one bucket is eternal life, and one bucket is damnation. And he goes, okay, yeah, Hans, Hans, okay, eternal life, here you go, come on in. And he goes to somebody else, and he's like, ah, right, and he gets that one, right? There's no sorting hat over his head that picks eternal life or damnation. None of that's happening. It's either you get the gracious gift given to you by God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, or you get what you already had coming. And that difference is important or else we don't realize the state that we're in without the Lord. And this is hard in a culture like ours that whitewashes sin. That will instead say something like this, well, everyone fails. Like, I know, yeah, yeah, yes. Everyone screws up. We're all broken. I'll use those words. Those are absolutely true. But they don't carry with them consequence. Rather, they carry with them, oh, we're all just kind of in this thing together. And so in a sense, we've normalized damnation to the point that we really think nothing of it. We just go, oh, well, we're all, we all have problems. We all, we all just, we're all bad. We all screw, everyone screws up. And in, in so doing, we've diminished the right and just response of a holy God to sinful people. Because we've made it seem as if, oh, we're all messed up, so you're really okay. Without the other side of it, which is, you're really not okay. You're not okay. That all apart from Jesus have a world of pain coming. And we were all that. But the gracious gift is God because of the work of the Son removing wrath and giving grace and life because of the work of Jesus. Now, let's go back to the silly game of comparison. I can't find any good reason to make it about me when I can't do any of the things that Jesus does. I don't have the spirit in full measure. I don't speak with absolute truth. I didn't come from above. I don't reveal to people God in the way that Jesus did. If I can't do the things that only God can do, why would I get mad and try to get credit for doing any of those things? Because they're not mine in the first place. Which is why when you go back to John, he can say so gladly, I'm right where I need to be. I'm doing what God's given me, and he needs to increase because he's above all. That's why John gives us, the evangelist gives us that comment, he's above all. If he was somehow lesser, well then let the competition begin, but it doesn't. He's not lesser. He's everything. And yet we're running around here trying to get more likes on our posts and get more people to listen to us. Rather than being just doggedly committed to people knowing how great and gracious and saving 
Jesus Christ is. Jesus is above all, which should make us at Genesis so glad. When someone runs to you and says, Mom, did you know this? And you've only prayed that for 400 years for your child. What can you rejoice in that your prayers were answered? That your prayers were answered. Who cares about credit? Who cares about status? Who cares about followers? Your prayers were answered by a gracious God. He didn't have to answer them. He didn't have to show your daughter his goodness, but he did. That's hard for me in ministry because so often I, I, want, I want Jesus to get credit and I would like the footnote. But if I like the footnote, then my heart's in the wrong place because it's delighting more in me than in him. And when I delight in Jesus as revealed, even in John 3, 31 through 36, I have no concerns about credit. Why would I? Why would I? The expert who is in life, who is life, is it? And when the Lord is using somebody to draw people to himself, great. And when someone's ministry is effective, great. And when that ministry loses its effectiveness, you know what? It may not be because that person's less effective. But we're Americans, and right, everything goes up and to the right, right? Everything, everything increases. <laughs> no. Only Jesus increases. I don't. I don't. You don't. Jesus does. And as we decrease, and he increases, our joy only gets fuller. Our worship only gets better. Our ministry only becomes more effective because we've given it totally away. <laughs> We're holding on to nothing because he's worth it. Pray with me.